For those of you who are listening in and aren't on our YouTube channel, you will see we have a little clapper with us. Uh, and that's the sound of how we start every single episode on the New Levels Coaching Podcast moving forward. We are back and it is episode eight now. Time is absolutely flying by. But remember, we are the podcast that brings the endurance world lots of education and inspiration so you can literally go away and run with it. You will be able to see, if you are tuning on YouTube, that I'm joined again by my lovely <laughs> other half, Gemma Hillier-Moses, who has a brew in her hand this week. I am back. And guess the, the colour of my brew. That would be, that's the number one question that everyone always asks about my cups of tea. <laughs> Not the colour of the mug. The colour of the mug is yellow, <laughs> but the colour of the brew. I Well, we call it chicken soup colour in the office. How would you describe it? <laughs> Weak and dead milky. <laughs> Weak and dead milky, a very northern saying, a very northern saying. Yeah, so Gemma is joining me and we thought it was quite fitting that Gemma joined this episode because we are recording this episode on Tuesday the 31st of October, which is actually, or actually marks the fifth anniversary of New Levels Coaching. Woo, happy birthday, us. Happy birthday <laughs> to New Levels Coaching. Uh, we started coaching before that date, but officially NLC was launched and it was made a business on that date. So we are selling celebrating that as five years officially as a registered business and it feels good but I'll be honest it feels like time has flown doesn't it? Yeah five years where has that gone and what have we done in between and we're going to talk about some of that today as well aren't we? We are I was going to say we got married in between but we didn't we got married before that which even seems even more scary. Gosh, the husband points just going down there not even got the date quite a way before. <laughs> I have the date I have the date 2015. <laughs> I couldn't have put up with a wedding and creating a business in the same year that's for sure. <laughs> But yeah, this week we want to talk all things races and we want to do a little bit of a recap on some of our favourite races that Gemma and I have participated in, some of our favourite NLC memories and how does that tie into coaching? Well, we've done a lot over the recent weeks around goal setting and targeting particular races and we thought this was a really good opportunity for us to talk to our audience about, well, where do you start when you are picking races? What do you actually do and what motivates you towards those goals? We thought if we shared our experiences and some of our favorite memories, that might give you a few tips and tricks. But we also want to go through a little bit of information about where you start. So I'm going to kick it off. And this is going to be a bit of a back and forth podcast because we're going to put each other on the spot a little bit here. I'm going to kick off with a question to Gemma and ask her, what is your favorite race of all time? But this has to be a personal race that you've participated in, <laughs> not one that you've watched on the TV. Okay. Um... Typical Gemma style. I don't just have one, I have three. Here we go, here we go. Um, and also I did ask Lewis, I was like, can we have a bit of a flow to the podcast? Can we prep? Because um, I can't even remember what I did a week ago, let alone what I did out in the last five <laughs> years. So I needed five minutes to even think about what races I've done and which ones I've liked. But I do have three, okay. if that's okay, because they are three really good ones. Um, okay, uh, are any of them whilst you've been with NLC? No. No. Okay, okay, that's fine, that's fine, because there's, Actually, an, NLC no. there's an NLC question later, so okay. I didn't want you to, to jump in, uh, and I'm not sure how far no. you've read along that floor that I've sent you. <laughs> I so, have got past question yeah, one. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> so number one, and this always comes to mind as like my favourite race, is the Kilda Half Marathon. So yep. that's the race at Kilda Forest by the Events of the North, and I did the Half Marathon there. And it was just incredible. Like I love, um, I love Kilda, Northumbria. I just love like pine trees, incredible trail, like running around the water, 
just the whole thing of it. I felt amazing on the day. It doesn't even, the performance doesn't even come into it. Like I did, I did win the half. Oh, I did win the half. <laughs> Casually drops it in there. Yeah, but I won. So yeah, that's often our best, uh, our best memories. I'm just clicking, I'm just flicking the clapper down there on my feet as well. If you hear the noise in the background. But I'll just throw that one in there. I just won it. No, but I think the reason why it was one of my best memories is because of the course and, and, um, the trails I, I just love that type of trails and then also I remember I was doing it as like a progression run so that's why it probably felt quite good and I was coming in with about probably about four or five minutes to go and at two minutes to go I heard you because the commentary and the mic carried because of the wind and I heard you and um, you didn't realize it was me coming in until 200 meters into it and I was like oh this is interesting well, I've just me... snuck up on him <laughs> snuck up on me bearing in mind I was coaching Gemma at this point and I share the commentary and that day I was sharing the commentary with Brian and Brian said oh you know the female uh, race leader is coming around the corner will this be Gemma and I said no 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 Brian no she's under strict instructions to run this steady and right now the clock is on around about 80 minutes or so so that's a bit faster than steady sure enough Gemma comes around the corner into sight Brian's eyes light up starts laughing at me as the coach <laughs> it was probably the first understanding I had of coach athlete husband wife relationship of, um she's not always going to listen to instructions but I will uh I will vouch for you on this occasion. You were having a really good run and it did still feel like steady and you were not pushing too hard. Yeah, and I think on that day I wasn't racing at all. And also that was probably when I was in a bit of a flow state where it just felt amazing. I was enjoying every, literally every part of it I loved. Um, and I, I want to go back. I was supposed to go back this year, but you were actually ill. Um, we're going to go do the do Blame the marathon. It Blame <laughs> it on me. Blame it on me. Damn it, I would have done killed a marathon this year if Lewis hadn't been ill mm. with COVID. But um, yeah, I want to go back and do the marathon because the marathon takes you around. I mean, this is great advice for events of the north and the Kilda marathon but it takes you around the whole of the the lake so I'd like to go back or the water so I'd like to go back and do that because I just think it's an incredible race and an incredible team that organize it as well I agree I agree before we go on to your second and third and fourth <laughs> and fifth races no, um, three. just three I'm gonna say that there's a there's a learning there for our audience straight away that you mentioned that floor state and being in that floor state within a race setting and it led to a very good performance. Mm. Sometimes when you're less focused on the outcome and you're more focused on the process and enjoying things, that's when our best performances come. And it's interesting that that still stands out as one of your fa favorite memories, but also I would say one of your, um, not highest performances, but one of your better performances. So it's just a learning there for people. You can enjoy it and you can perform well at the same time. Yeah. Number two. Well, in my mind then, I was like, oh God, I've got four, but I'm not, I'm going to switch one round. So number two, which has to be, is the, the Great North Run. The, for two reasons, um, the Great North Run is such an amazing race with the best support in the Northeast. So like just the Northerners, we absolutely love all that support that comes out. And I think it's just an incredible race. Um, but also I did it when I um, was diagnosed with cancer and was halfway through cancer treatment. So although it's probably one of the slowest times I've ever ran, it will still be one of my proudest moments. So from a race point of view, and again, it's none of these are actually my fastest performances, which is really interesting. A lot of them have deeper meaning and um, different things about them that mean that's why they mean so much to me, I guess. Right. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here because just to set the scene, Gemma's asked me to put together a bit of a flow for today's podcast, which I'm more than willing to do. But as many people know me, I like to do things off the cuff and I totally appreciate that's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, Gemma's asked me to put together a flow, which we're, we're quite in the middle of now. Husband and wife here talking. Gemma clearly hasn't read this flow because... <laughs> 
The Great North Run is meant to come later on oh. in this floor. But Gemma has asked me to spend some time this morning putting together a floor of which she has not read whatsoever. Welcome to the life of Lewis and Gemma. <laughs> I didn't get past question one. That's 20 minutes of my time that I'll never get back. But hey-ho, <laughs> as it goes, can we hold the Great North yeah. Run thought till later on in the podcast, please? Yeah, let's go on to Thank the final one. Thank you very one. much. And that one, um, well, the second Great North Run one was obviously when you were with NLC. So you've had a couple of Great North Run experiences. But yes, we'll come back to that one later on. My final one isn't going to be the one I talked about. It's going to be um, Armour International 5K. Oh, no, actually, it's not 5K for women. It's 3K 3K. road race. Yeah. So it's one of the best road races um, that I've ever been part of. I've been part of it from quite early on. So I saw it quite small. And now it's evolved to a lot of athletes and international athletes coming. And um, it's become one of the fastest road races in the world, especially over 5K for the men. But the women do the 3K, um, which is actually... Although sometimes you think, oh, I'd love to do the 5K because I could get a fast time on that course. It's actually quite nice to do a road 3K because there's no road 3Ks around. Um, but it goes around this circle in Armagh on a road and you have crowds either side. It's at, it's at night. It's like eight o'clock at night. And it's just it's just amazing what they do um, there, the atmosphere they bring, how they look after the athletes. Um, and I've had some cracking performances there. I've had a couple of not so good ones. Um, but even now, having gone away from potentially the shorter distances, I probably would still want to go back and race that race. So to put it into perspective or to set the scene for our viewers and listeners, uh, it's a mile a park in the centre and people do approximately 1k laps around this the square, the mile. And it's brilliant for spectators because they can dash across the centre of the park. You have to be quick because the runners mm. are super, super fast. The men's 5k now is getting is getting quite silly, you know, 1330s, which is, is madness uh, on the road. And there's something like it holds the record for the most people inside 13 minutes and 14 minutes, I believe. Uh, sorry, inside 14 minutes and 15 minutes for a road 5k. And for the women, it's getting, again, silly quick on the road for I think they're down to like 840s 850s now for 3k which is mad and I ran like 921 I think was my best there and that was in non-carbon and like I was you know over the moon with that I think I was can't remember what position but definitely top eight I think so you know it is a quick course that you're running those times on the road but the atmosphere is just yeah incredible yeah, with the introduction of carbon shoes, obviously times have progressed and, and the athletes have progressed too. But just a quick shout out to the organisers of Armour, as you've quite rightly said, amazing team over there. They do a brilliant job. Their hosp- uh, hospitality, anywhere you go in Ireland or Northern Ireland in this case is just second to none. They just love their athletics. They love their running and, and it shows. So yeah, good one. Excellent. Okie dokie. Yeah, I'll stick to three and we can bring three. my other one in later on All right. that we were trying to say the name of earlier. <laughs> do I do I get any or are we just going to go your three? <laughs> no, you're supposed to be interviewing me. No, we will ask you. Lewis, <laughs> Okay. what was the question? What is your favourite um, favorite races? I'm, I'm glad one? you've asked because that was item number two on our floor, <laughs> floor chart. So I'm glad you got to that point. Get away from the flow now. <laughs> uh, okay, my, um, my favourite race, I guess, is... Uh, the the three years indoors in any indoor race really was quite special for me. I used to love going indoors, that environment, the crowd feeling close, and and it was kind of a toss up between Birmingham and the Nationals because Birmingham there's a certain atmosphere about Birmingham, which is the Grand Prix, which sadly isn't going to be there in 2024, which I think is an absolute disaster for our sport. But that's for a totally different podcast. Um, but the indoors in Sheffield is really close. 
Uh, it's the nationals. It's a trial race. I used to thrive in championship races. Everything about it was just special for me. And yes, I have some great memories of winning there and picking up a collection of medals. I actually have the a gold, silver and a bronze from the indoors over a 1500 meters and 3k and it's something I'm exceptionally proud of mm. um, but that one in particular the the one that I did win the 1500 meters in 2012 just holds a very very special place in my heart for a, a whole collection of reasons that I won't go into too much detail because we might get onto it a little bit later but in terms of how races go and feelings and emotions and everything wrapped into one yeah that's that's still my standout favorite. And can I ask you a question around racing in particular in relation mm. to you and your your running? So George Gandhi used to call you the tactical master in terms of the brains in when you used to race. And often you would come into races with times that perhaps didn't match quite a lot of people in the race. There would be quite a few people would have faster times than you that you would expect to podium. But then you actually ended up either winning those races or on the podium. And I think a lot of people struggle with focusing on times and then not reaching their goal. But you were really good at not doing that and also not kind of overthinking the competition. So how, how do you manage that? And how do you step up your game going into races so that you can actually achieve more than perhaps a time on a piece of paper says? It's a really good question. And I'm going to kind of give the opposite to that to, to first answer the question. I think I actually really struggled to time trial as well because of that, um, because I'd become so fascinated on the time in time trial situations that I don't think I ever really fulfilled my potential in terms of the times I could have ran. I was actually better, as you say, when it came to the championship races. The reason for that, I was always a big believer that I could raise my game in races as opposed to training. So I didn't used to kill myself in training. I used to make sure that I was well rested, well tapered, and I was very much focusing on that race as, as the peak race, which we've spoken about in, in previous episodes. And my training was always tailored towards those peak races and I was very driven towards those goals. I think the other thing is that I used to see it as a level playing field. I used to tell myself that um, there's no pacemakers. This is a race. This is about tactics and this suits me. So I would go into it knowing that it was going to play to my strengths, whether that was just a mindset trick or not. Oh, yeah. I guess I'll never know. But it worked. And I used to even write it on my social posts when you could do that later on when social media came into the equation. I remember putting out on, on social media, like, you know, off to the three A's, um, which has been like a, a great a great place for me to collect medals over the years. Let's go and see if I can get another one. And that isn't me at all to kind of call that out. But I just needed that in my mind to say, no, you're still in this. And and I was going into that race. I was probably ranked 10th or 11th going yeah. into that one. I just needed to tell myself that, you know, this is a level playing field. You can beat these guys. You've just got to go in there, do what you do and, and trust the process. And, and it, it seemed to work. I, I do like to think that I used to get up for those at those occasions. I could I could raise my game. Yeah, massively. And I think you used to do it time and time again, which shows how powerful, we always speak about this, like the mental belief and the mental skills are, because technically, physically, you're going in slower than people. And you used to know who would crumble, who you could kind of see the little signs of that were starting to fall back. And actually raising your game on those occasions is really important. And a lot of people leave it out in training as well. And I guess to throw it in the mix as well, that the championship setup is a lot different from a time trial. A time trial, you'll rock up, you'll kind of go to the start line at a certain time, five minutes before, and then you'll just line up and you'll go. 
with championships, it's, it's very strategic. You know, you have to be in the call room 35 minutes before. And I used to really like that almost the little phases that you went through. Mm. And I felt like the mind game started in the warm up. They got a bit deeper into the call room. They got deeper again when you went into final call. And that for me was all part and parcel of, of the sport and part and parcel of the game. And I used to think that, again, that suited me. Yeah. I liked that little bit of chess that you played with each other. I actually was, I, I feel like as well, I'm a very laid back person and that benefited me. My personality suited that type of races, which we'll maybe come on to uh, in a while when we talk about how you pick your races and how yeah. you pick your targets. What what actually suits you and your personality? Yeah, actually it was interesting on our Loughborough performance retreat, um, Jamie actually asked, what what did you do in the call room? Because it's like interesting, how did you psych other people out or were you trying to psych them out or were you just trying to be yourself? Absolutely, you were. I was, <laughs> yeah, but I was being myself by doing yeah. it. But I knew that would get to them by being relaxed, by being chatty, by being smiley, almost them thinking, why does he want to talk to me? Mm. It was like I was trying to put out the perception that I was enjoying it. And I think I was, if I'm being honest with myself. I was nervous as hell, don't get me wrong. Butterflies churning in your stomach. But I wanted for them to see that I wasn't as worried about them as they were me, maybe. That's what I wanted for the perception to be anywhere. Yeah. It's interesting though, because we've both spoke about our favorite races. They're so different and they ha mm. both have different meanings. So it shows that this is why you shouldn't compare to other people because you take different things out of races and performances than I do. And it's like, well, may have similarities across the board, but we are our own people and we are like our own different experiences as well. Definitely. And, and these come at different times of your life as well. Like mm. if you ask me my favorite race over the last couple of years, it'd now be in a trail setting. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be saying, oh, I've really enjoyed the, the change of that. And you probably couldn't get me back on an indoor track now to compete. It was a, it was a time of my life. It was very different. Uh, yours is slightly different because you're still looking towards those trails and those longer distances. So it's good from a coaching perspective to hear they are the things you enjoy. Um, whereas for me and for, for a lot of other people who may be tuning in, don't be afraid to try new things and um, for things to change over time. That's absolutely acceptable. Yeah, but my, my journey's changed over time because I made a, a quite a strong decision about not going back to running on the track. And I knew that my heart didn't didn't want to do that. But I knew that part of you part of you sees what everybody else does and thinks I should be doing that. And I made a decision and I don't regret it at all because I've been down to watch track races and I just think that's not going to gonna make me tick anymore. That's not what... I want to spend my weekends doing I want to like I'm changing to where I want to go and what I want to do and that's fine and sometimes we're a little bit scared of what the norm should look like what you should look like as an athlete or a runner and actually we just need to experiment and get outside our comfort zone sometimes. I think that's a really good lesson for people who are sat listening and, and watching is that we often follow the crowds and we do things that other people <laughs> are doing and maybe we do it because we want to be sociable and we want to be part of that. Yeah. Almost like that cult. Mm. But don't be afraid to do the things that you want to do as well. And and don't be afraid to chase um don't be afraid to chase your dreams because it might be different, but they're your dreams and they're your passions. And if they're different to other people, there'll always be some other people who are doing that. So yeah. don't be afraid to do that. Okay, next question to you. And and again, you can throw it back if you want to. But the next question is around your favorite NLC memory. And again, trying to tie this into to racing if we can. So since we started NLC, is there a favorite kind of memory of yours about the team or anything we've done over the years that stands out? Any particular races that stand out and even maybe race performances? I'll let you have a think <laughs> while I grab my brew. But yeah, yes. explain anything that comes to mind. 
It's a really good question. I'm sure there's there's a lot of memories over the years because we've had things where we've gone to Berlin, we've had London Marathon, we've had group meetups, even going past NRC and going to our retreats as well, which are part of NRC and part of our coaching. Um, but the first one always comes to my head, and I've said this before, and this week I've just had so much, I don't know, I just I just get so much inspiration from them both. And um, it brings Joe and Alison again, because um, my I guess my favorite memory is also my worst in terms of my own running performance. And it's that Manchester Marathon performance where I had my worst, probably my worst feeling in a race before, um, where I was ill and I was run walking the last six miles, but I had Joe and Alice on my hand and that's what got me to the finish line. And then going into the pub afterwards um, in quite a low, feeling really low and seeing Joe and Alice and seeing them, they achieved sub five hours for the first time. And it showed to me that it's not just about me and I need to remember that. And actually other people's performances can really lift you up. And I saw how over the moon they were, how they felt with the race, how important it was. And for me to look at Joe and look at the struggles she faces and how different she lives her life um, now that running's part of it and, and just what running means to them and what their training means to them and what travel and, and being part of these races really does for them. Um, so that I guess that's probably one of my most memorable memories. And I'm sure there's, there is a lot more with a lot of other people, but it just keeps coming back to me, that memory does. And I think it's one I'm definitely hold on to and um, gives me that inspiration. It's a great memory and let's just kind of set the scene a little bit for those who maybe aren't aware of Joe and Alice's story and we've spoken about them on previous podcasts um, but Joe pushes Alice around. I believe Alice has just celebrated a birthday recently as yeah, well. Yeah. And so Alice is growing up but Alice is in a chair and Joe pushes around everywhere, absolutely everywhere and they go everywhere and they're amazing people and Joe is incredible at what she does but also Alice is incredible in her own right, you know cheering the hallway, shouting and screaming in a chair. She's going, and we've mentioned a backstory about London Marathon and things before. But yeah, the Manchester Marathon, kind of bittersweet for me because obviously it didn't go according to plan for, for you on the day, but that's where our team really do pick us up as individuals. And I think that's really important that we can go and see those real people who then pick you up in your kind of your deepest, darkest moments because it was very upsetting for you to see. Yeah. And that's not nice for me to see either. And it shows the power of a team and the power of a community. Yeah, and I think when I, I did the Santa Fun Run with Joe and Alice, actually, and I walked, walked ran round with them, and um, Joe was saying how she, years ago, she went to one of the community meetings and she saw other parents and they were in similar situations to Alice and they were just sat round in a room talking, having cups of tea, and that would maybe become her life where a lot of it's spent indoors, not really doing anything. And actually, she chose and she made a decision then that actually our life's not going to be like that. And I just think that that's amazing. Like, you have a choice. You can either go one way or the other, and they made that choice and don't get me wrong like Jay will say herself there's a lot of difficult times but she's choosing the way that will help them in the future and I just think that's incredible incredible people yeah and incredible stories and really nice memories for us yeah uh, so mine uh, I guess you mentioned it Berlin is the standout one it was the first time we decided to do like a trip abroad as a team uh, to follow the athletes who who we were following who were racing out there and we had uh, around about six or seven people in total yeah. on the course, which at the time was big for us to, to go to a European mar marathon and have kind of a team there. And we had our team vests. And we also had a lot of friends running that day, which was good at the, the front end. And we followed, you know, myself, uh, you and Matt followed because Matt's Lucy was running and she, she ran really well just outside of four hours for the marathon. 
it was just everything in one day. Bikili ran super quick at the front, almost broke the world record at the time. It then started pouring down with rain. The heavens opened. We were going around on bikes with some of our friends and Matt, and we were just getting to different points and seeing the team. And then afterwards, when everyone had ran really well and we got together, we went out and this night just escalated. Yeah. And we were out in our soaking wet clothes and no one gave a damn. And we ended up going to a Thai restaurant and going out for drinks and being in these just really nice bars and restaurants with some really good people. And it just kind of cemented my belief of this is something that we want to do uh, for the rest of our lives. We want to be around positive, like-minded people who explore the world with running which is a big value of, of mine, and I know it's one of yours personally. We we travel, we enjoy it. Yes, the performance is is it still everything to, to me, and I'm sure it's everything for you. But we also believe very strongly in the people and uh, the people who are with us as part of that team, and we have fun whilst we do it. So Berlin for me. I remember two funny memories from Berlin, which I think we've got to talk about. So number one was there was, was there five of us on a bike? Four of us or five of us traveling, traveling around Berlin, zooming around to try and keep up with everybody. And we'd gone, decided to go to the other side of the road, which you had to go down an underpass. So we went down this underpass, we came back up and we were like, right, we're on the right side of the road. Turn round and realised we'd just come back up the same side of the road. So but we'd gone up different <laughs> steps, but on the same side. We'd not gone under the road that we wanted, that the marathon was on. We'd gone under a side street, which was hilarious. So we were still on the same side. We'd not achieved our objective of getting across the road. So we had you and Matt who pride yourself on logistics and directions and organisation taking us onto the same side of the road. So that was number one. Paul Allen was the other one. Was Paul, Paul Allen, yeah. Yeah, Paul was following us. And, and the then memory? number two was Jane, who just had me in stitches the whole race. So first of all, at 10K... Jane, Jane sees Lou and is like, oh, my watch is all over the place. Like the world's ended. Like my watch is skipping. The Garmin's all over the shop. And then she's like, what do I do? And Lewis had wrote, wrote down like times for her to look at on the hand. Cause you kind of, I think she rang you, didn't she? She rang me, yeah. So you already knew that. And then you literally ran alongside her and just switched her watch and did something. And she was like, what have you done? And literally, so she couldn't even look at her watch anymore. And I absolutely love that bit. Yeah, so Jane, uh, who does the Runners World podcast and is a, uh, a really valuable member of Team NLC at the time, and I coached her for numerous years, and she was trying to break four, and we had a plan, wanted her to stick to it, and she was panicking that it wasn't feeling right and wasn't going according to plan. She also thought she broke a foot in the week in the lead up to it, which shows you how much maranoia can set in. Um, but she did. She achieved a goal. She listened to Greatest Showman the entire well, way. I was going to say, it gets better because with two miles to go, you, we were cycling along and you're like, Jane's ringing me. Why is she ringing me? Like You were like, she's on for sub four. And she rang you and she was like, Lewis, what do I do? And you were just like, keep think, moving forward. I think she realised, she's like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, what, what do I need to do? Like, bloody run as fast as you just can keep going to forward. that finish line and smile as you go through. But no, absolutely <laughs> smashed it. And um, yeah, some amazing memories to, like you say, those stories you'll tell for the rest of your life. And they're valuable yeah. to people listening. So a couple of learnings to take away is... <laughs> Never listened to you to your watch in a major marathon. What was happening with Jane's watch is that it was all over the shop because the splits were going crazy and she thought she was well behind pace, but quite, um, well, I guess fortunately we were stood on the side of the road and I was able to update her and say, actually, you know, you're not, we've had your 5K split, we've had your 10K split, you're bang on where I expected you to be, but let's just run to feel now. Um, 
don't try and reset your watch like I did to Jane. That was just a kind of a in the thing <laughs> moment where I thought she's going to respond better if she just runs to to feel here. She's she's nailed the first ten k. I knew she was going to do it then. Um, so yeah, and and don't always expect it to feel great at the start. Jane said that day it didn't feel amazing in that mm. first ten k, and it just slowly started to come to. And I think some people have this perception that you'll feel amazing, and in those longer events, particularly the marathon. But I think it's a big learning that sometimes when you do feel amazing, that's when you get carried away at the start. So yeah. a couple of points to um, to take away for our listeners and viewers there. Okay, next one is your um, related to a challenge. So going back to potentially the Great North <laughs> Run here, um, what I mean by a challenge is when you've took something on, it can be a race, but it's got got wider context or wider meaning to it. So it's part of a, of a challenge. And mm. the reason I mentioned the Great North Run is because you were raising money for a charity at the time. So I felt like that was a challenge, not just a race. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll go back to the Great North Run. So doing the Great North Run in between treatment cycles. So I was diagnosed with cancer, a cancer called Burkitt's lymphoma, um, a very, very aggressive cancer stage four pretty much had a month left to live if it if it wasn't treated um I was diagnosed in the July and then I did the Great North Run in the September and the reason I did the Great North Run was because Lewis told me he thought it'd be a good idea if I could do it so that the hospital could raise money <laughs> for the children and young people's ward that they were building at the time because I was a technically classed as a young person at the age of 24 being treated with older adults which can there is a big difference especially once you start you know, in terms of people in their 80s and 90s getting treated for cancer. It's a different world. Um, and so the hospital were building that unit and um, Lewis thought it would be a great idea if I did my treat- um, did the race in between all my treatment cycles, which is very probably one of the most aggressive cancer treatment cycles that you could ever go on. Let's provide, <laughs> so, a, bit yeah. of con- let's provide a bit of context. So you were running, so you'd, you'd taken running as the form of control and you were exercising. Running, we'll, well, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of put loosely. it as running, loosely. Um but but my theory on it was, and we'll, we'll come on to this in a bit more detail, is that sometimes when there's a bigger meaning to your goal, mm. it means more, it matters more, and you'll be able to dig that little bit deeper. But I knew, again, you've got to judge people on their personality. I knew you were the type of personality that would thrive on that. Yeah. What we didn't know was um, I'd had a torn plantar fascia <laughs> and I couldn't make the start line. So poor Gemma here is in hospital living with cancer, and she gets out of the bed and has a blood transfusion and goes and runs a great north run. I, on the other hand, have a torn plantar fascia. I decide I can't run. I literally couldn't. Um, and I jump on the press truck on the front of the race and get myself round on a truck. So, yeah, um, no kudos to me whatsoever. All the kudos goes to Gemma and the family who ran it. But as you say, a standout memory and a, and a great a great challenge and raised a lot of money for charity. Yeah, and I think it was amazing because, like you said, I actually needed to do it. I um, Anyone who's had cancer, it turns your life upside down. You lose full sense of control over everything. You lose pretty much everything in your body. Um, in order to try and keep yourself alive. And I think it gave me that purpose that I needed alongside something else. And I remember getting loads of messages being like, Gemma, you don't need to prove yourself, just get yourself better. But actually it was probably so important for me to do mentally and like you say have that greater purpose of raising money um I was able to do it with my mum my dad my sister and then amazingly a guy called Cliff Thornton who was a friend who was a one of our a guy who I used to work with it was his um father who's done every great north run I think since it started um and we were able to carry we carried the Olympic flag while going through it I had an interview with Denise Lewis Olympic torch Olympic torch not the Olympic flag <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're on wouldn't these have podcasts. the same meaning <laughs> 
Um, Olympic torch. Um, so there was lots of things along the Great North Run journey. And I had an interview with Denise Lewis halfway through. And Denise Lewis is amazing. I got the Denise Lewis hug. I was like, this woman's just amazing. So friendly and nice. Um, and doing the Great North Run, our fundraising page just shot up thousands and thousands of pounds. And in the end, we raised 25 grand, um, which was a massive amount for the... Um, it was at the Our Space unit at the time, which is the Children and People's Cancer Centre. So I think it's um, it was a memory in so many different ways, but it also taught me, I went on to set a charity called Move Charity, set up a charity called Move Charity, um, all about supporting people um, with cancer through the power of physical activity and exercise. And I think the Great North Run taught me the power of the mind massively, like what you can do, what you think is impossible is actually can actually be possible. And also what you can achieve in some of the darkest times, both physically and mentally. So I think that there was so much to take from that journey. And I think it isn't just the run on the day. Um, it was everything that went into it. And that's probably why it's the big was the biggest challenge of my life, but also the greatest memory. And, and the other point to kind of touch on is that the charity was formed off the back of that and it may not have been, Move Charity yeah. may not have been for, formed as a result because there was a lot of doctors and consultants who were, who were against the idea. Yeah. And it was very early stages of people starting to explore a little bit more of exercise and cancer. So actually you started a movement here in the UK, which has been explored in other parts of the world at the time in places like Denmark and Australia. But it really kind of started a movement and created a bit of noise uh, around the hospitals around actually exercise is, is good and powerful and not just good for the mind, it's also good for the body as well. Yeah, and we were talking about, so I'd gone through a very aggressive 10-day treatment cycle, chemotherapy and other drugs. I then had to have a blood transfusion and a platelet transfusion the day before going to get my blood levels up a little bit. We're not talking Lance Armstrong here. I was going to say, <laughs> where we go with this. I did, finish blood in, doping. I did finish in two hours and 23 minutes, which is still great. Like There's a lot of people that will finish that, but for me, very relative in terms of that's a lot slower than I would usually run. So it didn't it didn't make me yeah. a well beater. Are you the, are the only elite athlete in history who's blood doped and got, got slower? slower. <laughs> well, my hemoglobin was still probably like eight. Um, but anyway, like, yeah, so there was a lot of things that could potentially go wrong. And when I asked my doctor, I asked actually my my um, my consultant was actually away at the time. And I actually asked my registrar and he was like, well, I don't see why not. He hadn't mm. been in the job long enough. <laughs> and then when Fiona came back, she was like, oh, dear God. And she ended up having like eight glass, glasses of wine in the evening. Had a lot of consultants that said, I don't think that's a good idea. But she was like, actually, I'm going to trust my patient here that she knows what I'm doing. And now, like you say, we are changing the way people live with cancer and the way people think about it. So that could be another episode on itself. But I think that that shows that one memory, there's so much that's come from that, which is really good. Let's add a bit of meat to the bones here because it's an incredible story. It's the most emotional I've ever been at the end of a race and I wasn't even doing it. I was stood with Joe McLeod at the time, Ryan, a good friend of mine, Ryan McLeod's mum. And uh, she was welling up. I was welling up as I seen you all cross the line together. And it shows the kind of, again, the power of sport and, and what it can do for people. And it's still, you say, it's kind of your worst performance, but at the same time, like your best performance, worst in terms of the time you ran, but in terms of what it means and how hard it was and getting through that. And I think for those of you who do tune in, I think it's really important to highlight this point that sometimes it is worth going after something that means a lot to you. It's not just about times. It's not just about going after these outcome goals. It's sometimes chasing a challenge that has greater meaning. And often when you do that, it gives you more, uh, more of a sense of purpose yeah. and you're more motivated to do that. 
and when you're certainly picking your races or your challenges, that's one thing that I would encourage you to do. Look at why do I want to do this? Why? What is my purpose behind this? And that's quite a deep way of expressing it. But I believe when you find that, like you did with that one, and I'll go on to the one that I did recently, um, when you find that, you're so motivated to achieve it that just more comes from it than you'd ever imagine. Yeah, and I think it. you're right, you're, you're all in or you're mentally bought in. And I think that's where people struggle a little bit probably with motivation. And we know motivation comes from action, but they're doing things that they just think they should do. Yeah. And they don't, like you don't always have to have this real deep meaning or be in a dark place to, to go into a challenge. Cause like, you know, I'm going into them now in a really good place, but you do have to understand why you're doing it. Cause that's the only thing that's going to get you out of bed for your training, get you out of bed for races. Mm. But also like, don't get me wrong. Like I, I want to achieve times and performances. I'm still very much performance driven as I am like experience driven, but it means that, you know, when you can look at more of the process, to, no matter what the outcome. And I think that's really important. And I think it's a really good point to highlight is that we want people to still be performance driven. Yeah. We're not saying don't be performance driven, but we're saying sometimes when it has greater meaning, that's when the greatest performances come. Yeah. And yeah. And when I've worked with a psychologist recently and we've talked so much about that. The less mm. you focus on the outcome, the better your outcome will be in a weird way. Yeah. And it's just we've got to get that into our heads. Um, but let's go over to you then. Yeah, so this is a challenge that um, I didn't do personally. So I coached um, a couple of athletes, Ian Stringer and Nick Hodges, to do a global charity challenge. So they were raising money for the Bordy Hodges Foundation, which supports um, parents who have been bereaved of a child. And I'd known about the charity for a while, and Ian reached out to me. And I guess it, it kind of... This was an extended challenge because originally when the guys were planning on doing this, five marathons in five cities in five days. They're actually going to do it in five different continents in five days. Wow. And the plan was amazing. The logistics behind it was insane. But then COVID hit. So the first thing I'd say is we ended up training for a lot longer. And that was a good thing. It was a blessing because it gave them more time and they were definitely ready by the time it came around. So we, we probably did it about a year, 18 months after we were meant to do it. And I coached the guys throughout that journey and it was just a really good way to get to know people who I'd never known before. I, I knew of them, but I had never connected with them. We became amazing friends and the group of four of us who went out, including Dave, the physio as well, we we became so close and we we made a bond that would never have been formed if we'd not done that challenge, which was incredible. I was still living my, my personal values. So sometimes Ian says, I can't believe you gave up all that time to coaches. And then, and then you came traveling the world with us, you know, <laughs> when you're meant to be in work. And I was like, yeah, but... They're my values. I want to travel the world through running and you're giving yeah. me the opportunity to, to do that. Whilst we made a shed load of money for the Bodie Hodges Foundation, about 75,000 in the end, the guys raised, which was wow, incredible. incredible. And I just remember day one getting to, to Thailand and um, being in Bangkok and all the restrictions around travel and things. And, and we got there and when the guys were doing the marathon in Bangkok, we had a police escort through the center of Bangkok at like the busiest time of night. It was absolutely insane. They were shutting roads for us going around and I, and I got to run a part of that course and experience it. And we just have memories between us that will last a lifetime. Yeah. Now off the back of that, unfortunately, Dave has really sadly lost one of his children, which has been devastating for himself and his family. Um, and I got really close to, to Dave whilst we were away. And I just think Dave and Gemma are incredible people, absolutely incredible. And their lives have been changed, up, have been taken upside down. 
but I know how important those support networks are. And I don't know if Dave looks back on that challenge now and, you know, looks at it any differently than, than we do. But I look back on it and, and feel a lot more connected to that group of people. But it also showed me the importance of the work that Bodies does. And that's when I mention about things have greater meaning sometimes. And I know that Gemma and Dave will be getting support from Bodies and their friends and family who are around them. And everyone will try and pick them up in the most tragic of times. But I guess it's just, a, again, a shout out to, to say that sometimes if you're r- raising money for causes that are out there, mm. it's not just about raising money. It's about raising awareness for the work they do because I didn't really understand the work that Bodies did before I got involved in that charity cause, that, yeah. that charity challenge. Now I do. And unfortunately, I've now seen the firsthand impact of that as well, which is devastating. Yeah. But it shows why it's so, so important that charities like Move Against Cancer exist, Body Hodges Foundation exists. So if you're one of these people who sometimes looks at it and goes, oh, I'm not sure if I want to do that for charity. I'm not sure it'll make a difference because I'm only going to raise a thousand pound or I'm only going to raise this. It's not always about the money. It's sometimes about the connections you make, the people you meet, and just that awareness you raise for, for, for small charities in particular. Yeah. So yeah, some I guess a, a learning is don't be afraid to get involved in challenges and raise money for charity if you think it's personal to you and it fits with your values and you're doing it for the right reasons. And that can sometimes be what people are searching for when you're looking for your deeper why. It's something that you connect with that's a greater cause than yourself that you are then on a journey raising money for and have a challenge at the end. So if you've Flattened, like lost your way a little bit with running maybe you need something outside of you to help you find your way again yeah definitely and hopefully uh, Nick is going to come on the podcast actually and talk a little bit about that about mm. how he found his way with running and how those challenges provide you a motivation and and the action that comes off the back of it yeah and people people often do it with um with friends as well I know um Elsa and Isla have just supported one of their friends into running and it's yeah. like actually like uh, they can see you as an inspiration and not think it's for them. And sometimes maybe putting your running to the side slightly to help somebody else will give you greater meaning. And that's where we're talking about there's so many different ways that you can find your why and your challenge and your, you know, your performances in whatever way you want. And I think there's, um, yeah, you just need to search a little bit for them. Yeah. 100%. So yeah, just a quick shout out to the guys who did the Global Marathon Challenge. That was amazing, unbelievable me- memories. And I guess if you want to find out more about Bodies or, or Move Against Cancer, then by all means do. And there's a bit of a hashtag, hashtag Be More Freddie in relation to the story I was talking about uh, with Freddie himself. So they're still raising a lot of money for a brilliant cause. So if, if you're ever around the Leicester area and want to come and get involved in the things like the Santa Fun Run, then, then please do because it very much fits with our values and what we do here at NLC as well. Okay, let's wrap that all up and let's tie it all together. So we wanted to talk about this subject because we felt like it would give people a bit more of an understanding as to why to enter races or where to start when they enter races. Because we've spoken a lot over recent weeks about A goals, B goals, C goals, big targets that you can target, long-term planning. But sometimes people just have that question of, well, where do I start? How do I know which event to enter? So I'm going to kick us off and I'm going to come to you. So my number one, when entering an event, if you want to go big, and as you described it, all in, find your why. Why do you want to do it? And go deep with it. Whether that's a challenge, uh, whether it's for a charity, whether it's a, an outcome goal that you want to achieve, whether it's trying something new and being brave and getting out of your comfort zone. But go deep with your why, focus on that, and that will help you to find the right race for you. 
Okay, my takeaway number two is to do something that scares you. <clears throat> so I, I'm doing something that scares me this weekend, which is the 50K in Coleman on the trails. We're not allowed to talk about that. <laughs> I know we are. <laughs> um, but to be honest, it's over 50K. And when I entered it, it does scare me. And it's not being afraid to be scared and get outside your comfort zone. And, you know, have that bit of unknown. Like we don't have to be, know everything about something. Like we can step outside our comfort zone, challenge ourselves, and what will be will be. You'll find out once you've finished it. So um, yeah, that's my, um, that's my second point. To add a training <laughs> point to that, I think when you do those challenges that are getting out your comfort zone, mm. being brave and challenging yourself to do something new, quite often in training, people want to, to get to a certain point to be able to feel confident in order to complete the challenge. Classic, I want to do 20 to 21 miles before I do the marathon because 26 miles. Some people, I want to go closer, I want to go closer. Well, here's just a little tip from me from a coaching perspective and a personal perspective. The challenge itself is finding out a lot about yourself on the day. Don't be afraid to, to be a little bit further away from it in training because you won't believe how much more you can get out of yourself on the day if you're willing to raise the game. But embrace that challenge. That's why you're doing it. Mm. If you could just do it in training, it's not a challenge. So yeah, don't be don't be afraid. Oh, I don't think you have to do it all in training first. Um, um, I've just got something to add on that from the mental skills point of view. If you do have a lot of worries that are holding you back, what I would do is write down your worries, so write them down. And then the next step would be to look at the logical solutions to those worries. Because if you think about your worries in your head, you often get illogical solutions because you're just catastrophizing. And that is what will stop you from doing something. So writing down your worries, then attach to them, look at your solutions for those worries. So if you're like, you know, worried about the weather being cold or worried about that you haven't done the distance, it's like, if you take doing the distance, looking back at the training, the consistency you've had, um, the trust that you've had in your plan, the other performances that you've had and know that you'll be OK. That's the logical answer. So often when we go through that process, we feel a little bit more OK going into something that may scare you a little bit more. Yep, really good point. Really good point. There's nothing wrong with a good old pen and paper as well. No. You know, <laughs> OK, number three for me, give yourself time. Very simple. Give yourself time. Don't just go away listening to this podcast and go, oh, I found a challenge in four weeks' time. One of the biggest mistakes I see from a coaching point of view is people who come to us and say, I've got eight weeks to marathon, 12 weeks to marathon. Give yourself time and don't be afraid to set yourself a long-term goal into 2024 and then break that down with short-term goals in between. So that's tip number three from me. I think my final tip, because that's all my brain can cope with giving you, <laughs> is reflection is really important. So once you've achieved, once you've done the challenge, achieved maybe what you've wanted to, or if you haven't achieved what you wanted to, always spend time reflecting and again, putting pen to paper or talking to somebody. Um, because there's often more than just the performance to look back on. So look back on the process, the journey, learn if things haven't gone right. Like you might have done some things that didn't weren't great and didn't contribute well to your your final result. But there's probably more a lot that you can pull out along the way and be proud of. So don't just look at the outcome, reflect back, learn, and then take that learning moving forward into your next um, race or goal or challenge. Really good point to kind of finalize that point or kind of wrap things up on that point then. When you're taking this challenge on or picking your race or setting your goal, if you've got an outcome goal, which is time related, absolutely fine. But link to what Gemma just said there. Think about some process goals that you want to tick off on the way. What else do you want to achieve on the way to that goal? Um, how would you want to feel? Maybe how do you want to look? Who do you want to meet? Where do you want to go? All those things, write them all down. Because when you get to the end point, 
you may hit your outcome goal, you may not, but you'll be able to reflect back, as Gemma's just said, look at that list and go, right, which one of those did I tick off? I got to explore the world. Amazing. Look at that. I got to meet loads of new people. Amazing. And it's sometimes just a really good way of ticking off those processes and showing that there's more to life than just an outcome goal. Yeah. And and these challenges you set yourself will lead to some amazing adventures. Bro. Okay. I think that's that's a wrap for this week. <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Gemma. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been good to celebrate our fifth birthday in podcast style. As always, we welcome your reviews. We welcome your likes. We welcome your shares. And we like any comments that come our way. So please uh, comment if you can, like if you can, and share if you can. We also like to talk a little bit about our coaching because we get a lot of people uh, messages after this asking if coaching is right for them. Absolutely, it will be if you are a runner or triathlete of any ability, then please reach out to us if you want to find out more about coaching and what we do. All that we ask is that we find out if we're the right fit to work with you and you're the right fit to work with us because we want to help as many people as we can for them to find their potential as well. We'll be back in the coming weeks. For now, enjoy your training, enjoy your racing, and of course... Be setting yourself some long-term goals into 2024.